my name is Andres. I am from Peru. I'm at the moment living in the UK and working for Care International Secretariat. And my role is um, related to governance of the Care Confederation, um, in policy as well, and confederation development, uh, which is basically about how, as a confederation, with our members, candidates, and affiliates, we try to, um, to continue in this journey of diversifying our ways of working, our operating models, um, the way we support um, members and partners doing, doing the work. Great. And why is it important for us to talk about failure? Failure, in, uh, in my experience, well, for many years, it was like the forbidden word. No, 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 no many people um, wanted even to, to call uh, what well, maybe mistakes or errors. Failure used to be very strong. As a non-native English speaker, um, uh, sometimes words, we, we unpack them too much, you know, and I would say like a, like a non-native speaker, I would say failure, in, even for me a few years ago, sounded, oh, that's very strong. No? Also because the matrix of success are in our world still about success. <laughs> we congratulate success. Uh, we hardly, although it's changing, uh, congratulate someone for recognizing mistakes. No? With that in mind, what is the example of failure you're going to be talking about today? There are different ways of, 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 of tackling this, this, this important topic. Uh, I will use a few terms and we can unpack them and, and different people interpret them in different ways. But um, let me start by saying that I am convinced that organizations working in the international development and humanitarian sector. So when we talk about the sector, let's talk about, let's try to and then talk about international development, long-term development and humanitarian. I'm convinced as agencies, um, particularly in this case, international organizations, civil society organizations, we have contributed significantly to tackle a number of challenges that the world faces and, and people face around the world, no? both in the global north, as some people call it, and in the global south, um, supporting actually and, and, and people in, in, in their fight for social justice no? and hopefully to overcome poverty or um, um, face um, and recover from, from emergencies. I think part of what we need to be honest as well is with ourselves is that we haven't done so well in the how, in the way our operating models or in the way we have done the job, let's put it that way. And so, it's very linked to renewed calls for decolonizing the sector and hopefully challenge racism within the sector and um, strong elements of what is called white supremacy as well. And what are some of the consequences of that failure? way of addressing your question, which is a really good one, is to see the manifestations of colonialism, white supremacy. So we need to start by accepting that as a sector, we are not immune to it. And, and, and there is racism in our sector and racism, racist behavior in our organizations. Now, sometimes that behavior is not obvious and sometimes it's maybe microaggressions. Sometimes we have been part of it by taking a direct action or sometimes by not taking that action. We also need to recognize that the system is based and built on colonial models or post-colonial models. And we also need to recognize that because of that, that, that term white supremacy is very present, meaning that the idea of whiteness 
is considered as the standard category against which non-white people or thinking are judged. No? It is part of a failure is that we haven't gone far enough in terms of decolonizing the sector, decolonizing our operating models and um, answering to all questions to, to tackle anti-racism in, in a more proactive way. And why do you think that's happening? It's power. Power is there, definitely. And, and when you talk about power, it, it, it's of course a difficult conversation, an uncomfortable conversation, because in human nature, uh, it's really difficult to let go. And it's sometimes very comfortable to have power, um, even if, when it comes with responsibility. Um, it's about power. It's about those who have been in power for so many years. It's about also goodwill. Um, interestingly, in this sector, not, not everyone, but you, you, we could, I think, safely say that most of the people, if not all working in the sector, have a, a good intention behind it. We want to work in this sector because we want to, be, to do good. And we have grown, depending on what you have grown, with the idea that doing good sometimes is, is being charitable, giving charity, hands-on, uh, being very hands-on, or that you need to provide the solutions to someone else's problems, or that you are in a better place, or because we have more resources, we know better, or because we have been told that the knowledge is in the North and other countries are underdeveloped <laughs> or in developing, or that we, our role is to ca build capacities. No? All those terms are having there in, in this sector, particularly in international NGOs. And when we have been told that our role is, for example, to build capacities, that's al that already puts us in a power up position in relation to, for example, national and other partners. No? So talk about a couple of specific examples of what this looks like. One that we know well recently, we, we've done uh, an audit, for example, of um, when we talk about communications materials, um, who produce the life stories that we publish in our websites or, or in our newsletters, or, or who take the photos that we use in our materials, in our promotion materials, or, or for example, just to give you an idea, more than 65% of those photos that we use in our materials and communications were taken by white men. European, North American, for example. So that means in practice that someone had to travel all the way to a country in, in the global south to take a photo, <laughs> bring it back, and, and rather than, for example, <laughs> going to, uh, to the local organizations working there, our partners, and, and, and working with the material they, they can produce. No? Uh, stories told by, by themselves, uh, materials produced by themselves, in, in, a, in a partnership and in a collaborative model rather than us doing that. No, that that's on, on communications. Language is really important. I, I have a colleague of mine who, who was really clear. She is from Kenya and, and she told me, Andres, one of the things I, I really uncomfortable is this idea of when people from other countries come to work in my country, uh, they come with ideas and language like I'm I'm going to the field to do this work. No, I'm going to the to this third world country, uh, and, and and it's interesting because she was saying those terms perpetuate that idea of a powerful someone else that is going to to help the other, no, the powerless. Um, and interesting, even the use of language. So that's a second one. Programmatically, um, 
on operationally. Um, the fact that we believe we know better and we have our programs that are implemented by others, no? And how do we discuss and negotiate those, uh, design those programs? It's not enough to consult, which is a step forward, of course, but to consult communities and on what they need, and then we come with a solution, no? How funding is managed, who take decisions on, on funding applications, who hold the relationship with the donor, who sits at the table with, in the global discussions around climate change, for example. Even phrases like, yes, we are here to, to speak on behalf of the voiceless, of those who don't have a voice. Even those things, which happen all the time, has, has been happening all the time, are in my mind, um, examples, manifestations of that idea of, of white supremacy we know better, we can do it for you. And what does that look like in your own life? How does that feel in your own experience of work? Look, um, it's always important to do a starting point, no? who, who you are. I, in my case, I am a Peruvian living in the UK. I'm an immigrant man. with all the privileges that come with being a man, for example, with, being, with having have access to education and now being able to speak <laughs> and hopefully good enough English um, so that comes with privileges, of course, but in my particular context, that comes also with, uh, with, with, with differences. No? So the fact, for example, that most of senior managers in the sector are still men and white, the fact that really high percentage of CEOs are again male and white, the fact that board members, trustees, the same. No? So you could see, you could see that um, certainly that directly affects people's careers, people's opportunities, people's access to, to, to chances, no? And, and on the other side, let me also say it, no? I, I've also been part of the, the, the problem when in the end, maybe I stopped challenging certain things, no? And, and when I was going back to my own country um, to do a monitoring visit, for example, no? And my behavior was like someone was checking on someone else's quality work, no? I remember one of my first jobs when I migrated to this country was some sort of monitoring officer. Uh, and, and yes, I certainly on reflection behave in a way that was probably imposing Western concepts, no? To what is success, how to measure it, uh, tools that we pre-packed pre tools already. Um, um, so yes, when, when you reflect back and you see your own behaviors, um, I think that's the starting point, no? And, and so certainly it's never a position of, this is a problem of someone else or this is the organization problem. Um, we, we certainly are actors and responsible for, for the change needed. And how do you move past that? So a starting point, who you are, and then therefore you may first feel in different ways. You may feel that you've never been there. You, you may feel that you've never been racist or you may feel you've never been in a power up position. Uh, actually, you could have been in a power down position. So clearly, it's a, it's very different for each of us. Uh, clearly, we know that because of the issues, many, particularly white people, feel feel really uncomfortable with these conversations. Now, uh, some of some of them may feel very defensive. Some of them may be uncomfortable, but at the same time, eager to to move on and to understand and to learn. Um, so the, it's a very personal question, I would say, and and. I would say for me, it's my starting point, it's recognition that I am part of this. And, and, and while I, I love what I do and I hope I'm doing a good job, 
I also know that I am working within a system that, as we said at the beginning, has been built from colonial or post-colonial uh, systems and models. Um, and so that recognition, I think, is the starting point. Self-educating, learning or unlearning, <laughs> that's more important probably, unlearning those practices of behaviors that now maybe are obvious and maybe before they were not. So I would say, irrespective of where you are in that spectrum of privilege, certainly self-reflection and self-awareness is a starting point. Second, you need to face that guiltness, I don't know if that's the word, um, and hopefully supported in a safe space, even better. No? Um, that's why in organizations, when, when we have these discussions, it's important to promote safe space when, when staff can, can discuss these issues. Not necessarily to stop being uncomfortable. Some, someone, a really good quote is uh, that I heard, it's that if you are not uncomfortable having this conversation, um, you are not having the right conversation. But of course, in a, certain spaces are more conducive towards that. No? And when we see leadership promoting those conversations, when we see leadership uh, in organizations promoting those commitments, uh, I think that definitely encourages us. In care, we have our vision 2030. And at the center of vision 2030, it is, as I said, the what, no? the what do we do in support, in partnership with others, but also the how. No? We do this in partnership. We do this with humbleness at the center. We do this because we want to be actively anti-racist because we know that in order to, to go and work for social justice, we need to be anti-racist. No? Do you have any tips about that? Any specific things that make it easier to have those uncomfortable conversations? Easier is not the right word because you don't want them to be easy, but makes us more likely to have those uncomfortable conversations. Again, every, each of us are different and we have our own preference or our preferred ways to, to learn to discuss things. No? So I am being very honest with you. I've invested significant time in listening to current debates in listening to people who know much better than me, who know much more than me, who have lived experiences that actually speak to the issue, uh, try to understand where they're coming from, challenge my, my own assumptions, taking notes of, of the quotes we, we've been talking about in this conversation are actually uh, are part of that learning process. So, so I think there is an space, an individual space that you, we need to occupy, which is we need to do our own learning. And we need to invest time and we need to see that that's important. It's not an added on, it's not luxury. Actually, if we are serious about supporting this sector to, to change in the right direction, I think we need to be serious about dedicating that time individually first. So that, that's first because in a way you equip yourself with some of those tools. And, and in times like these, when, when there is lots of information there, of course, starting with certain privilege you, you, you of course if you have access to internet if you have access to a mobile phone now you can have access to to a, to a lot of information debates um, speeches um, conversations forums etc written material so that's the first step do your own work self-educate uh, that that would be that works for me that may not work for everyone and and it's difficult to give advice so what i'm saying is what has worked for me so invest time in there then promote those spaces within our organizations and, and sometimes you will be in the pushing your leadership to to to, to take that <laughs> or sometimes you will be in a leadership position as well and it's more it's kind of your, your responsibility as well no certainly be clear that it's not about putting this responsibility on, on people of color no uh, I, I i've heard as well that sometimes well i feel uncomfortable 
people of color know better. They, they should tell us, well, actually, I would say, at least for us, that, that that's not the way we shouldn't put another burden on people of color on educating us or, or, or letting. Of course, we need to, 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 to have those conversations and discussions uh, as part of an organization, but, but certainly it is, it is a joint responsibility and even more, I would say, a responsibility uh, from leadership, no? Uh, on generating those spaces, on, on making your staff feel that that's part of work is not is not that you are doing something just for personal interest. And and third one is, although the journey will be messy, yeah, there's no one step one leads to number two and then three and easy answer. No, so understanding that the the process will be messy, I think that's the starting point. That will take time. That's the other thing. That there may be certain more concrete commitments that you can make, but being clear of what can you change yourself as an organization, what can you change, contribute to change with others, and what you want to advocate for others to change, you know? Clearly, one of the big mistakes sometimes international organizations make is feeling at the center of the whole thing, you know? So recognizing our strengths, but also recognizing our limitations, you know? What can we achieve on our own and with others, and what is for others to, to drive and, and we to support? One of the things you mentioned earlier that really resonated for me is not just the idea of learning, but the idea of unlearning and all of the habits we have. So to take the example you gave about using the word the field, and it makes complete sense to me the way our colleague explained why that's a problem. But it's also a word I've been using for the last 15 years, and now I have to stop myself every time. How do we build in those ways to unlearn the bad behaviors we've adopted? I'm sure that there, there are behaviors that in the past were condoned or, or passed that nowadays we will say, no way, impossible, no? So uh, same thing with anti-racism, no? There may have been jokes in the past or terminology or, or the fact that we, we have a comms team traveling around the world in, in, in most of our organizations without thinking that we were perpetrating certain practices, no? And that's the thing that we need to change, no? Uh, uh, realizing that it's not good enough anymore. If you could pick just one or two key actions that you wish everyone else at CARE was doing, what would they be? I, I, I wish we all were, were dedicating that time to, to self-reflection, to, to self-educating ourselves and, and, to, and to unlearn things. I, that in, that's the individual thing, no? And I still myself have a long way to go. And then the second one is as teams, whatever teams we are, team, have that time and space to, to, to try to identify those manifestations no? and, and come out with, with all our own proposals. And how about as an organization? What are things we can do to make it more likely that individuals are investing and doing the work and the reflection? So each organization is different to be, to, to, to be fair, and each organization would know better uh, with maybe that external support what is the best route to take, no? and, and, and depending on your starting point. But I, I can tell you that uh, in CARE International Confederation, we have diversity of memberships, no? and, and, and different members are tackling different elements. No? Some are talking about their governance structures and taking uh, action, making commitments. Some are talking about their leadership and who is in leading roles. Some are talking about programs and how they work in partnership with national organizations and other actors we haven't worked in the past with. Uh, some are tackling this uh, from, from, from behavioral issues and culture issues. The important thing, I think, if I can say one thing will be, don't think this is a, an HR issue. 
because that that has been um, I think that's important to learn from others failure no when when you have the when you say this is label this as an HR issue then maybe the route is let's improve the policies let's have better better policies and that's it no it is not an HR issue it has to do with everything we do as an organization from our governance, our leadership, our operations, our communications, HR, financial practices, ways of working with donors, ways of working with other actors. No, it is across across the board, and I think not recognizing that could be could be a failure. <laughs> what is the transformation that's possible if we get this right? What is the impact of the future you want to see? If we are truly about social justice evolving and significantly transforming the way we work and our operating models to use to use the jargon in the sector it is a must it's a must no? and and I, I to be very honest it, times are changing and and actors are changing i i know organization national organizations let's call it to simplify in the global south um that for years they have been challenging this no? some of them have already for example rejected funding or rejected possibility of entering partnerships because of these this these same issues no uh, I those voices are growing those circumstances are growing partnership for me is critical no it is recognizing the differences and it's recognizing that each partner adds something to the table and we welcome that those differences no? so I I think um if we don't change attitudes like we know better, if we don't change attitudes like we are the, the ones that have power because we do have resources, financial or otherwise, and they start recognizing the power that, that others have and, and, and start working in, in truly equitable partnerships and relationships, if we don't challenge our own assumptions, if we don't discuss with our own back donors, interestingly, donors sometimes are, are the ones that are more easily to blame, no? But I can see donors and now in a very different way. Some donors have been actually much more progressive in their thinking than a number of civil society organizations huh, in the global north. I've seen donors already talking about equitable partnerships, uh, for example, unrestricted funding, supporting core funding, uh, supporting longer term funding, um, supporting organizational development type of work um, already for years. I think there are all the donors that are now are joining them. Um, so yes, uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I was my point in the end is the same. No, we have all been part of this. No, some INGOs have been a bit ahead of, of ahead. Some others a bit more behind. Some donors ahead. So it, it is difficult and probably not not good enough to to make generalizations. So um, so we have we have good examples in in all fronts, I would say. But also we have practice that and behavior that need to change in all, in all fronts and, and by all actors.